welcome to One Size Does Not Fit All with Well Life Tribe. We're sponsored by Renourish. Renourish are delicious grab-and-go fresh soups in a pioneering, heatable, fully recyclable bottle. Renourish soups are plant-based, gluten-free, dairy-free and packed with vitamins. Find them in all Waitrose stores. Hi, and welcome to the Well Life Tribe podcast, One Size Does Not Fit All. With me, Liberty, I'm back after a lovely break in the summer, and I'm joined by Kat. Hi, Kat. Hi, Liberty. How are you? I'm good. I'm um, full of energy today because I got up at 6.15, went for a run. Um, Not like a really long run, but I went for a run, Um, and then I came back in, I made breakfast for everybody when I got in the car, did the school run. I like to feel good, actually. I do feel good. I don't do this every day. Um, this is the first run I've done for a while. Um, but actually, I'm really pleased with myself. I'm really pleased. You should be pleased with yourself. <laughs> Blimey, you've done more today than I've done in about six months. I know. I'm um, ready to go to bed now, actually. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, yeah, I've done everything, done a bit of, right, that's it, no. No, it's good, I actually, you know, like, because a lot of the time we can't be bothered to do these things, and when you do do them, it's, it is, there's nothing else you can say, but it does make you feel better. Um, it was a beautiful morning as well, wasn't it? It was quite misty this morning, and um, there's something nice, I don't, uh, the most I do at that time in the morning is open my eyes and go, oh, I've got a bit longer to sleep and close them again. <laughs> but I did look out this morning and think, oh my gosh, it's so unusual because it was so warm, but it was so misty. And um, did you feel lovely and connected and sort of grounded? And was it quiet? Was it dark? It was a bit dark. I think the thing about it was, is that um, now that we're sort of back in a routine in lockdown, I had my own time in the morning and I really love that. And then when we got back into this routine, I suddenly was like, where is that hour or half an hour gone? I would quite like to claim that back again. Yeah. And claiming it back again, it just makes me feel better. Um, Cause I've had, cause you know, like I used to work from home and be the only one at home and I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I love my husband, but he's at home with me 24-7 now. So it's just like, oh, when did the office say you can go back? <laughs> you know, love him, but you know, just you know, I have to get used to it. So I have to take my pockets when I can. My school journey is longer now because obviously Marnie's at a different school, but um and I quite like that actually, so that's okay. Mm, there's something sweet about the school run. My school runs a little bit longer now as well because Maggie's also changed schools and um I'm getting back into listening to podcasts so um that's been quite sweet and uh it's good to get a few tips for my own presenting um but yeah <laughs> who did you um, listen to today i've been listening to the louis theroux podcast grounded oh um, you love him don't you i love him um he's done some really good ones and uh he did one with Boy George and one with, um, well, they're all really good, but the one he did with Boy George, I wasn't really that fussed about Boy George before, but he's so good to listen to. And Helena Bonham Carter, that was a really good one. Um, I've got two more to listen to, but it, with all of them, I looked at them and thought, I don't really know who that person is if, or if I'd like to listen to that. And they're just brilliant. So yeah. I just love podcasts. I, you got me into podcasts and I am addicted. I love <laughs> them all. It doesn't matter how rubbish they are, if they're like rubbish celebrity gossip ones or crime ones or whatever. They're just, I love them. It just is a little bit of escapism and um, it makes the school run go so nice and quickly. Yeah, and dog in the car, definitely. Mm. I, I, I claimed I had a drink with Boy George once, actually. <gasps> Did you? A very long time ago when I, before I had children or a husband, I was in a bar with my friend EC. We had a drink with him in the bar. He was very nice. Was he nice? Yeah. Because I think he really reminds me of like childhood. He sort of came on, he was the first, you know, flamboyant kind of singer. Um, and I, I've always really loved him. So I remember when he came to the bar, that's my thing. I've done this before. I, I think I know people. <laughs> Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm like, oh, hi. Hey. And he's like, hey, cat. No, no, we, we haven't met, you know. And I'm like, no, uh, haven't we? You know, <laughs> I get really disappointed. But um, yes, but um, talking about drinking in a bar. So today's news, because I didn't get to listen to a podcast, was all about how the UK has an even bigger drinking addiction, actually, and that it's doubled. Um, you know, 
it's up now 8.5 million since february um according to the royal college of psychiatrists that's big isn't it yeah yeah so 8.5 million people are drinking dangerously Mm. um i mean i can't say i'm surprised that's just based on my own habits and i'm not like i can see how it happened yeah um very easily i think it's tragic and it's like one of i feel so many things which are symptomatic of of everything that we've been through yeah, um, it's just saying, it's down to things like you know fear um mm-hmm. you know money issues uh obviously working from home the childcare. You know, it's all part of this sort of emotional fallout. Um, yeah. And people, it wasn't just that, actually. I also read that um, there's a, a big rise in um, painkiller addiction also oh. um, because of all of this, you know. Um, and, you know, the health service are saying, you know, they're, they're waiting for all of these new problems to sort of come on. But, you know, um, you know, one thing about what we do and where we work, we've got people who can help with this I think you know like and I'm quite excited about our guest today actually because I think this will be a good topic to cover with him yeah I'm so excited about our guest today um his name is David Lineker David you are a former Anglican priest you're now a coach celebrant writer and thinker hello David hi guilty as charged yes <laughs> i am so excited to speak to you for two reasons um number one is that when i read your uh, little we do a few little questions um and send them out to our guests and when i read yours it just excited me because it was like the whole tone of it made me excited and also that it said that your wife said you speak fluent girl and i just thought that was absolutely brilliant uh, yeah and the other reason was that my mom had listened to you speaking to Kat on a live and she'd said did you not watch did you not see that he's absolutely brilliant and my mom's a really harsh judge of character (laughs) and I was like if my mom likes you and she's normally right then I I knew you'd be brilliant um I'm humbled I'm humbled (laughs) I've been looking forward to this very much um David, tell us a little bit about what you do now and, and how you came to that, that point. Well, essentially, I mean, when I left um, the wonderful security bubble of the, of the Church of England, I wanted to sort of bring with me the things that I'd really enjoyed doing. Um, and I wanted to stop doing the things that I didn't enjoy doing. So I didn't want to have to maintain a 15th century building and I didn't want to have to be nice to the people I didn't want to be nice to. Um, so I brought with me um, quite a, a, a long history of kind of coaching and developing um, all sorts of different people. Uh, but because the, the, you know, the environment of the church is a very female one, actually, although the, the kind of public face is, is, is a lot of men in black, um, actually, the reality of it is it's very female. And as we'll probably notice later on, I was brought up in a very female environment. So um, hence my fluency in, in girl. Um, <laughs> but uh, I, I loved, I love the conversations that were with those women who had got to that point in life where they weren't sure what their significance was anymore. Um, they'd known when they were high-flying career woman or um, a dedicated mum or a combination of those. Um, but they got to a point where career was kind of, nah, not sure about that. Um, kids were flying the nest. They were really kind of concerned about where their significance was and wanted to explore that. So it was really important to make them feel important, to make their worries feel both valuable but also a catalyst for what might come next um, and most of all that they still felt that they were needed that they still had a contribution to make in the world even though the thing that that had, that had fired them um, was now changing and shifting so um, I knew that my job in a sense was to be their their biggest ally and and champion but also a kind of critical friend who could walk alongside them, who was outside of their family and outside of their friendship group. So in a sense, I don't have a dog in the fight. Um, but um, nevertheless, I, I care 
about the fact that they have so much possibility to flourish, particularly in the second part of life with all the wisdom that they bring with them. So essentially it was kind of a very selfish way of saying, how can, how can I really indulge myself in the things that I really enjoy doing? And, and, and that, was, that was one of the main points of focus really. So how long were you a priest for? I was behind the dog collar for 21 years. Wow. Um, training before that. So 25 years essentially knocking around institutional church. Okay. And, and the women that you um, first came to uh, speak to in this way, would they have been, or, or understand, um, were in need of someone to show them guidance um, and that they were worthy? Would they have been people that would come to your church? Is that how you started to meet people who were in needed this kind of help <laughs> well or just yeah, friends of yours partly but but my sort of way of doing being a vicar was was to just sort of hang around um and 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 then you got into conversation um and mostly it was people who would start the conversation with i don't really do religion but right um and then what they wanted to talk about wasn't at all anything to do with with religion or whatever what it was to do with was i'm worried really really worried because i'm not sure where i belong anymore i'm not sure right if i i think the the, the really the big thing that the, the sort of buzz phrase that i often use is that people had had ceased to have the sense that they belonged to themselves right. and i think that that sense when you become alienated to yourself that's a really horrible place to be. Um, and it, it, it's just been an absolute joy over the years and years and years to see people's selves just come back together. That, that looks as though I was frightened. Um, but, um, <laughs> that, that's a better, better physical metaphor. We're, we're looking at one another on Zoom here, folks. Um, that they, they became more integrated to themselves. Right, right. And so for you, did you, you it's hard, what I'm, I'm trying to say is, so, so did you feel a natural end to that, the, 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 the career as a, as a, career is a funny word, I suppose, but your life as a, as a priest then naturally came to I mean, in the, the, the end of it was, was quite, yeah, it was quite catastrophic in a way. Personal life fell apart at the same time as my sense that me and the institution were not in a good place together. So um, you were married, weren't you? At the I time? was married. Um, and so that relationship um, ended, but ended really, really well, which I'm incredibly lucky for. Mm. Um, my, my former wife is still one of my best friends, which well, is handy amazing. because we share a, we share a nine-year-old together. Oh, um, that's lovely. But she'd also come to a realisation in her life that she needed to, to, to do things differently. And I'm not going to do, go into the details of that because that's kind of her, her stuff, really. Um, and, yeah, so in a sense, the decision to actually leave was made for me and that was incredibly painful. But I knew it was coming and I, I knew that when I kind of walked out of the bishop's office knowing that I was going to have to leave the job I was in, which meant of course leaving income and house and all of that, wow. and status, yeah. um, and an absolutely brilliant dressing up cupboard, which I really enjoyed, that <laughs> um, I had to leave, leave all of those things, um, I just felt huge liberation. I just felt I knew wow. this was the right move. Right. Um, and so, you know, it's a bit like the old J-curve thing. You dip into a, you then dip into a kind of oh shit sort of a place. Yeah. Um, and then it becomes, then it rises out of that. And gradually you get a sense. I mean, I got a sense of what I was for. I'd lost my sense of significance. And suddenly I began to realise that my significance was far more important and far more profound than simply a piece of plastic in the front of my shirt collar. Um, that it, it meant much, much more than that. 
I think though, I'm sort of going back, when you, is it true to say that like usually though, if you take that kind of job, it's one that's meant for life, is that? Absolutely, yeah. And so is it very rare that people kind of leave? It's, uh, it's quite rare, although it's becoming more common because certainly those of us who went into the church 20, 30 years ago, it was just a very different institution. And, you know, without wanting to tread on the toes of former colleagues, it's, I feel it's been slightly hijacked by those who have a much, much harder line agenda um, than the one I was, I went into the church to help people. Um, I didn't go into the church primarily um, to sell them a product. Um, but I feel that, that that kind of slightly salesy approach has sadly um, become a wee bit more prevalent than, than, than I was comfortable with. And there are all sorts of other things um, as well. Um, but I'm very glad to look back at it now. I, I described it once as having spent 25 years in a really exotic foreign country. Um, <laughs> where they dress differently and they use funny language. And I was really, really glad that I'd been there because I learned all sorts of things. And I met some incredibly wise and amazing people and some really kind people and inspiring people. But I was really glad I'd come home. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So do you feel like you're more the true you now? Unquestionably. Right. Without any reservation at all, yeah. That's so interesting, but without the experience of, of everything um, professionally, do you feel you may not have come to this path, that you learned so much in the church that led you here, or do you think you would have come to this career decision anyway? I mean, that's, that's such, a, it's such a big question, because, you know, I, 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 went, I was born in the Isle of Wight, and I went back to see um, someone who had known me um, she actually appears as, a, as I think, a seven-year-old girl in my christening photographs. Um, and we were chatting and my mother died when I was four and a half and, and she had great ambitions for me. And I know that, you know, my educational path would have been different. My right. family path would have been different. But I wouldn't be here and I wouldn't be me now. Um, and... You've then got to say, well, what impact do I have? Mm. Uh, and, you know, it's terribly easy to sound conceited with that, but I don't mean to at all. It's, it's more that, you know, the crap that, that, that happened to me, certainly in my early life, prepared me for what happened later. And that's had a huge impact on other people for the good. So... You know, I was just daft to rewrite history. You, I, the experience I've got is the experience I've got. There's nothing yeah. I can do about that. Yeah. Um, I remember sitting at the feet of an amazing guy who'd been a, a prisoner in a, a concentration camp um, during the Second World War. Um, and he said, when he was liberated by the Americans, he realised immediately that the actual fact of his liberation, the fact that they just opened the gates and said, there you go, you can walk out, was irrelevant. The thing that was relevant was what he did in the next 10 minutes. And I think that's so, such an amazing insight mm -hmm. that the history we have is the history we have. It's what yeah. we do with it that matters. Mm -hmm. So, um, do you remember your mother at all? I have... I have fleeting uh, memories of her, um, a, quite a strong emotional memory. She was, mm. she was extremely glamorous um, mm. and, and very energetic and vivacious. And, um, you know, whoever you talk to from that time, bearing in mind she died in 1970, um, yeah. will say just how beautiful she was and how vivacious she was and how much fun she was. Um, and I remember that, and I think I was a, I was a bit of a, a sort of peroxide blonde bombshell when I was sort of two and three. And um, my, godmother, my godmother described us as, as a sort of bursting into the room as a twosome. Um, and that's a really nice thing. 
that's a really nice thing to hear. Yeah. We don't have that much. Sadly, I had a I had my first stepmother rather sort of scorch the earth, so I have very very few photographs. Um, my mother was a, a dress designer. Oh wow! And I have none of her designs. Um, oh. None of her dresses, which is desperately sad. So if anyone listening has a 1950s or 60s dress which has June Grey Morley on the label in the background, let me know because I really want to hear. Oh, June Grey Morley. Yeah. Oh, wow. Name. So you what? were raised by your grandmother after? So I was, I was kind of rescued by my paternal grandmother um, during the time of my mother's worst, the worst part of her illness. And she sort of continued to keep an eye on me. I lived with my father and first stepmother for a bit. That was a, a bit of a car crash of a marriage. And the upshot of that was that I went to live with my grandmother. Um, so, so in a sense, I mean, in, in some ways, I was brought up in the 1930s and 40s. Um, <laughs> <laughs> because bless her heart, I mean, I look at it now, I, I you know, I'm in my mid-50s and I've got a nine-year-old. She took on an eight-year-old when she was 70. Wow. Um, yeah. And by herself, and she was amazing. Um, but I, I had a very close relationship with her, and I think it's her fundamental attitudes to the world that formed who I am, really. Mm. Mm. Something you said about her was that she was very positive um, and that it, I think you said something about her seeing the best in situations and in people, um, which had a massive influence on you. So do you tend to be someone who sees the best in things as a, as a result of that? I think that's so important for children, especially. I'm an absolutely incurable optimist. Right. Um, and... You know, I, I used to be known as Reverend Tigger once upon a time. Um, <laughs> but I do, have, I do have a slightly kind of Tiggerish view of the world. And, and I, just, I just think, that we passed this way but once, and we might as well have fun doing it. And yeah. the vast majority of people are doing pretty much the best with the hand of cards they've been dealt. And, and so... Although, like everybody, people get up my nose, but, but I'm, in the end, I want to see the positive in people. And, and yeah, that does mean that people take advantage of you occasionally, but I'd so much rather that than the opposite. Yeah, absolutely. Some cynical sod who never, never gave anyone the opportunity. Um, and so it's that kind of Brene Brown style managed yeah. vulnerability, I suppose. But nevertheless, I, I just am incredibly optimistic I, th I think I think things are good I, I think the, the idea that this wonderful species of ours has been around for you know about half a million years um, and all of that DNA has suddenly arrived in me today here <laughs> this this moment sitting in front of this iMac and and you just think this that's just bonkers yeah. The chances of me being here are so infinitesimally small, I might as well have fun while I'm at it. Absolutely. <laughs> I think um, the good thing about, I mean, just talking to you, um, uh, you, you, you know, you work with women a lot and you're obviously, you know, yeah. like you say, but I feel very comfortable with you. I felt very comfortable from the minute I met you, actually, and I could talk to you every day. Um, <laughs> <laughs> But, um, but I just I find it interesting because you say in one of the questions that, you know, like with your father, you felt you might have been a failure in his eyes at some some way. Does that do you think that's another reason why you work with women better? I, I think it, it, it almost certainly is. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think a lot of men feel um, that they haven't quite measured up to the, the demands of their father. I don't think that's an at all an uncommon no, thing um, but it's it's really that combined with the fact that my dad was um, a pretty weak character really um, and he could be incredibly charming um, and and he I think he always believed what he said when he said it but you couldn't always trust that there was any long-term delivery attached to what he might say mm. um, and so I think that slight sense of sort of betrayal um, 
as well as experience of school and the school playground and one's male friends, um, being brought up by your grandmother it does tend to put a certain amount of blood in the water for the sharks to circle around. And, mm -hmm. um, and, and so that was a pretty miserable experience. And so I, I kind of, I think, learnt, I just learnt to trust men less than I trust women, really. I, it's, you know, I couldn't really help it. Yeah. Um, so I enjoy working with women more than I enjoy working with men, especially the alpha version. When you look at all of that stuff that you went through, do you think that you have forgiven everybody now? I think that's a journey. I think that's a journey. And, it, and, and I, don't, I don't see it as having anything particular to do with them. It's actually to do with me and my attitudes to them. Um, I see forgiveness as a, as a gift to myself. Yeah. Um, oh, that's kind of what I mean. I think that's when you yeah. see that that's kind of really bolstered who you are today. Um, yes. I think once you learn to forgive, then you go into it. Do you think? I do, I do think Facebook is a great thing for that because it allows you to stalk some of the people who made your life a misery. <laughs> um, and, and to discover what they're doing now. And... Um, you know, when they were making your life a misery, they were exercising power over you. Mm -hmm. And to see them in their lives now, and the, in a sense, the lack of power yeah. that has the one that, that, that has over the person I am now, it makes it much easier to say, Do you know what? But, you know, who would wish being a teenager on their worst enemy, let's face it. And, and I think teenage boys have a pretty tough time, yeah. um, particularly because I think most, most men actually are desperate to be much more in touch with their feminine side, but it is incredibly hard to do. Um, I'm lucky because the course of my life has enabled me to do that yeah. um, and enable me to feel integrated in that way. Um, and you know, for some, for some men, I can come across as a bit camp. Well, you know, Hey, um, that's their problem, not mine. Exactly. Mm. I also think you're absolutely right. And I would like my son to be able to grow up in a world where he can talk yeah. to about everything, every sense of feeling, because I don't want it to be that world where it's just women or we're, we're labeled as the ones who are emotional because actually we're all emotional so yeah. why are we just labeled with that yeah we're, we're all emotional whole selves and that'll be that'll be um expressed in all sorts of different ways but um for me i can't be me um unless i'm very connected to the female side of who i am that doesn't mean that that when my partner bought me a a tank driving experience my little inner seven-year-old boy didn't jump up and down and whoop for joy and and went <laughs> off and thoroughly enjoyed it um, but but nevertheless um you know and it just shows how comfortable you are david though as well because you are who you are you are you um and it's about everybody else to be honest if they have a problem and they're not comfortable, that's not really anything to do with you either because that's just their issues isn't it and I think that's true for all of us. I think that's true for all of us. And I think that to get to a point in your life where you're able to say, you know, this is me. And one thing I, I think I learnt as a real takeaway from, from life behind the dog collar is that there is a real distinction between niceness and kindness. Um, I always want to be kind. Mm -hmm. um, but the problem when, you're, when you wear, and I feel for my former colleagues because they're still stuck in this, there is such a pressure to be nice. There is such a pressure to make people like you because you feel that's what you have to do. Right. Um, whereas actually sometimes you've got to tell people that they're being an ass, mm. um, and, and, and that's a kindness to them, but they won't like you for it. Um, but to learn to inhabit kindness and to know when you're slipping into niceness 
because you need someone to like you. That's when you know you're in the dangerous territory. Mm. Yeah, I, it's funny actually, because as you were saying that, I was thinking about the nicest thing. I think there's a lot of females, and myself included, who perhaps did that a lot. I did that a lot a few yeah. years ago, I would say. I was just trying to be nice to everybody, you know, and that was, I think that's, um, yeah. so in terms of that job and, you know, yeah, sugar and spice and all things, things don't they? Yeah, you do. And and I think it's a particular pressure for women um, to to be nicey nicey, to fit in, um, to not rock the boat. Yeah. Uh, and and that leads into the work that I do um, because it it really poisons the well. Um, because you know you can have initial conversations with people and they they completely get that doing some work together is going to provide a sense of liberation they may never have a, have ever experienced and yet they still hold back to say yeah but but do i deserve this shouldn't i be focusing on other people's well-being shouldn't doesn't isn't that more important um, how could I possibly invest in myself? That seems yeah. really selfish. And the word selfish comes up again and again and again and again and again with women in a way that it rarely does with men. So typically with these, uh, the, 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 the women that you speak to, would they often be mothers who are in that pecking order where they put themselves at the very bottom of the priorities? So they feel everybody else comes first and they don't deserve they they get what's left kind of thing and, and that falls into all areas of their lives essentially i think that that's absolutely right but but it, it doesn't need to be mothers either right a lot of you know one or two people that i've worked with have been you know very high flying women but a, a part of their success and a part of their self image is that they've been nurturing through that right um, and they've got to a stage where actually they're now into the alpha male world yeah. and they're having to play the alpha male politics and that's kind of why they get to the now nah, I don't want to do that because that's driving a coaching horses through my sense of who I am right. um, but at the same time they still have this sense of but but why can I justify investing in me um, because it's everybody else I should be looking after. Uh, That's then, interesting, isn't it? Because I think those type of women get judged all the time because they have taken that step to, you know, like to be that way. And yeah, it's a good way yeah. to be, but other women are like, oh, why are you being like that for? And I think they feel that. Yeah. And, and I, I think we're really foolish if we underestimate the price that those people have paid um, for those decisions. Uh, whichever way you go, it's not easy. You know, I think women are under enormous pressure and the whole kind of, you can have it all, which we know is nonsense. Yeah. Um, but then trying to negotiate between the various pulls and demands within your life um, is a really hard thing to do and always involves cost. It can't help but involve cost. Um, and cost generally comes hand in hand with good old guilt and no. worse than guilt it can sometimes come hand in hand with shame and, and that's you know shame is just an appalling thing to live with and i think a lot of women carry a sack of shame for all sorts of things on their shoulders and again that just pollutes the well of trying to 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 get some some self integration in terms of moving forward into that second half of life, which is, which is full of the possibility of so much liberation. Welcome to One Size Does Not Fit All with Well Life Tribe. We're sponsored by Renourish. Renourish are delicious grab and go fresh soups in a pioneering, heatable, fully recyclable bottle. Renourish soups are plant based, gluten free, dairy free, and packed with vitamins. Find them in all Waitrose stores. I think lockdown has also brought even more guilt with it, actually. Um, and going back to what Liberty and I were talking about at the beginning with the drinking thing. Yeah. Um, 
you know, it's all down to the pressures and that, that's kind of across the board. But also I think, you know, in lockdown, I would say when I was trying to sort of work, you know, because everybody was also in the house, you're like, uh, okay, I'm going to put my work hat on and quickly get some work yeah. done. Then I'm going to try and entertain two children and then I'm going to come back and do some work and then I'm going to make everybody lunch. <laughs> Yeah, and at the end of it, I think seven weeks into it, I just fl I flew off and flipped out. I was like, I hate cooking, yeah. and it's my favorite thing. What have you done to me? <laughs> yeah. That's right, absolutely. Well, I mean, Gabor Mate, um, incredibly wise on the subject of addiction, and 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 he says very simply, the question is not why the addiction, the question is why the pain. Um, and we all have points where we feel the pain that we need to medicate. Um, of course, the, the way to properly deal with it is to um, actually answer the question, why the pain? Mm. But it's incredibly easy, in my case, to just empty a can of beer right. or two or three. Yeah. Um, and, 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 you know, the, I'd love to see what the consumption figures for, for wine and beer particularly have, have happened over over lockdown um i think the off licenses have been rubbing their hands together with glee yeah i remember um part way through it when uh, nobody could get deliveries and people were going but we can get deliveries from majestic yeah absolutely <laughs> it's like, yeah. but you can't yeah. get bed from there <laughs> mm. it's so interesting because i know in south africa in lockdown they banned the sale of tobacco and alcohol products but yeah, then right. people were dying because they were making moonshine and, and drinking well, all kinds yeah. of crazy so yeah it's, it's just craziness craziness um i was listening to a podcast where they were talking about women who have chosen to uh take a professional route and then not have children so to pursue a career and not have children and then they were talking about the judgment that is placed on a woman who doesn't have children and how they are looked at as kind of half a person whereas a man in the same situation who works his butt off and it becomes really successful is completely the opposite he's looked at as being a career man and what a guy and you know he's such a he's probably got loads of girlfriends and isn't he great and and it was so interesting um, to actually listen to that and break it down for myself. I kept playing it over and over in my head and thinking, women have come so far, but that's still something that looks like it would just take forever to shake. You know, we are the baby makers. And so why are you a certain age and you don't have children? Oh my gosh, she doesn't want to have a baby. And, and that's still such an issue. Yeah. And, and that goes back to... The degree to which you give other people a vote in your life I guess um, you know we make decisions uh, for the best reasons we make them at the time we make them um, and to judge or to impose not quite sure of the word I'm searching for but the outcome of it is that anyone feels shame for not fitting into particular gender norms um, is tragic. Um, you can feel, I think you can feel a sense of discomfort because that then goes back to the gabomite, not the not why the addiction, but why the pain. Because you can say, well, I, I feel a discomfort, I feel a disconnect within me. What what's causing that? Mm. And that's a perfectly legitimate conversation to have in the context of a curiosity, but a non-judgmental curiosity. I think what what society does, and you know, dare I say, other women are really good at doing this to one another, um, is to impose a norm and then to say, you should feel shame because you don't fit this norm. I mean, it's true to a certain extent for men, you know, there's, I, I don't fit the testosterone driven alpha male. But I don't feel shame about that. Some might, I don't. Um, but I think women, as I say, carry these sacks of shame um, because of some because of the decisions they have chosen for perfectly good reasons. I, I do think, however, that when you when, when you were talking about the kind of you know the the man strutting around as the um, you know high on the hog and and uh, isn't he isn't he just a guy? Um, 
that lasts really well until everything starts to go saggy and stops working and then <laughs> actually the men do much worse I think in general because I think another thing I like about women is in general they are a darn sight more resilient and a darn sight more creative about their own possibilities. Do you feel that your insight and what I'm really enjoying about you is I feel like it's like having um you're like uh having a spy in the camp you're like a man <laughs> do you feel that your insight and your natural um ability to um relate to women and have the female aspect is having an impact on the way that you raise your son uh, i've got a daughter oh uh, you've got a daughter <laughs> um, so um <laughs> or your daughter, or your daughter. I said son. <laughs> oh. <laughs> no, I, I, yeah, she'd be highly offended as she's in her pink phase at the moment. Um, yeah, well, it's inevitable. I, mean, I can only be dad as I'm dad, really. So, you know, it's bound to have a certain impact. Um, and I think, I think her mum and I have a way of kind of approaching the world and talking about the world, which has a, has a sense of being quite joined up. Um, and that's, that's helpful. Yeah. Uh, so I think, yeah, I mean, you know, inevitably, um, I, I will only be dad the way I'm dad, really. Yeah, I think she's very lucky. I really do. Um, something I would say, Liberty, that you and I, we don't really have major alpha husbands, though. <laughs> I was thinking the same let's, thing. <laughs> let's just say that. I'm putting you in this bag, too, because we both don't have alpha. We don't have these... <laughs> big rugby you know like whatever they're not like I always like Liberty Liberty no we don't we don't have <laughs> <laughs> my husband is very camp um, and very happy to uh, happy to yeah I don't, know. We don't have that we always say that to each other don't we we don't have these you know yeah, no. yeah. I mean I, I un unreservedly um admit that the, the thing I miss most about about church really is is the fact that I had just amazing dressing up to be able to do, and I I, I well, we used to call it tatting about, and I used to tat about with the best of them, <laughs> beautifully tailored cassocks and lots of coloured brocade and all that kind of nonsense. It must be a thing then, because my husband absolutely loves dressing up, and I remember when the kids were really young and we used to go to school for like book day and stuff. And I remember my. Oh, yeah, I spent went, Halloween with him. He's <laughs> always a woman. And my well, daughter I, went into there, school there's... and she had on something. And, and then I remember the secretary called me in and she said that she'd said, Maggie, where did you get that amazing costume? And she said, it's my, my dad's got an enormous dressing up box at home. And she said, we all absolutely howled with laughter. And I was like, oh my God. God, <laughs> he, re he really has. My, my partner's daughter, who's in her 20s and very glamorous, and, and my little girl absolutely idolises her. And she, she did a makeover for, for my little girl, Georgia. And oh. um, having done the makeover, she said, oh, daddy, you've got to have a makeover now. So um, Phoebe, my partner's daughter, bless her heart, went and got a, a um, Snow White costume that she'd worn to a party. <laughs> so there is a photograph of me wearing a Snow White costume, um, which I hope never ever sees the light of the internet. <laughs> oh dear. But that's the thing, that's why I think I am, um, I don't know what it's like to be with someone who's really, really alpha. Sure. And like, no, I have like the, like I, Rich and I, we are like best friends. We talk about yeah. everything together. We are, to, you know, and we have the, you had the best love, actually, is what I would say. Absolutely. And I just love the fact that it is, he is someone I could just, I'm 100% myself with him because of that, I think. Yeah, exactly. Mm. Exactly. Yeah. 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 It's in terms funny. of the people that you coach, actually, um, David, kind of in light of everything. So obviously, you, you know, like, are they, a lot of your clients, are they local to you or people coming to you from all over? Um, a, a mixture, really. Um, I, I um, do coach by Zoom and oh, the phone is, is not brilliant because you can't see people's faces. Um, Zoom is the next best thing, but face to face is even better. So there tends to be a sort of local aspect to it. Um, 
but local for me can mean anywhere in central southern England, frankly. Um, but uh, I'm equally, as I say, equally comfortable um, to do it online. Actually, one of my uh, coaches has um, just moved to Germany with her family, so mm. we are doing everything on Zoom now, um, and that's working quite well. Mm. Do you think there is a common thread amongst people that you're coaching at the moment, or you know, I know everybody's individual, but due to everything that's kind of gone on in this year, what do you think people are feeling right now? I don't think it's necessarily related to what's going on this year. I think it's the it's the old old story of what a psychologist would call self actualization. It's it's that who am I? Where am I? Where am I going? Question. Um, if I think about some of the most significant coaching journeys I've had with folk, it's all been around that question and the outcomes. Again, thinking about some particular folk, the outcomes have been remarkable, absolutely remarkable. Oh, and that's not because I'm, I'm a genius. It, it's <laughs> there, was, there was incredible stuff in there and working together, we, we, we prized it out. Yeah, I mean, that is the sign of a good coach. And, you know, and personally, I think that um, everybody should have a go at having a coaching session. Mm, um, mm. And it's something that's coming to light for people, but still, when I talk to some people, they still feel awkward about it. How would you say to that person, how would you convince them to give it a go? For me, I think it's, it's really, really good to have someone who can get what's in your head, outside of your head, and help you interrogate it. So help you to ask it really good questions. When I was training, um, yonks ago um, and through some of the sort of supervision um, I used to do and would love to get back to doing actually um, we used to do little uh, mini coaches with with colleagues so we, we get together as a threesome and uh, the uh, one would coach the other one would be coached and the other one would observe and give feedback but so we had to bring something that could be coached in about 25 minutes um, and it might be something really apparently insignificant from your life um i don't know like like what what priority should i give to oh, i can't think of an example off the top of my head but anyway um you'd throw this example into into the middle of the room and then the coach would enable you to look at that and and get some clarity on it it's all about taking the fuzz the white noise and focusing in, tuning in, so it produces a clear picture. Um, and, and then you can make proper and clear decisions about that. Um, so the benefit of coaching for me is to get the white noise into focus so that it becomes a clear picture, which you can act on and take clear decisions on. Because while it remains white noise, you cannot take good decisions. So one of the things that you were saying is that uh, the key often to life is to simplify. So people yeah. are just trying to do too much. And I think that uh, as a woman, there is, and Kat and I have talked about this before, this kind of badge of honor of being, I'm so busy. I just don't have time for, and that's not, it just doesn't serve people well to be that way. And, and certainly I know people who are that way and it exhausts me even to look at them. Um, but they almost seem addicted to it. Like they want to take on more and more and more, but you can yes. see them driving themselves completely mad. Um, yes. But then the flip side is that a lot of people feel like they don't deserve to indulge themselves in a little bit of time and space. I know. So I guess it's finding the balance there. It really is. It really is finding the balance and, and slowing it down mm. and stopping is absolutely essential because what you're trying to do is you're trying to open up the gap between stimulus and response. Right. So we, we are programmed through all that 500,000 years worth of, of evolution to be watching out for lions um, so they don't eat us. But, but they tend to be relatively few lions in, in Wiltshire, apart from Longleat. Um, <laughs> and therefore, 
we don't have to have that fight or flight mechanism buzzing away quite so intensely. So to lower the stress, to get that sense of balance, you just need to pull out the distance between stimulus and response and, and teach yourself a different way of getting from stimulus to response. Because often we do it based on programs we've been running since we were kids. Right. And those can be quite unhelpful. You know, when people behave badly, it's often because they're running a program which they installed when they were about six or seven. Mm. Um, and you need to hack that. So you need to open that stimulus and response gap. Um, and that just hacks it so that you can, you can reinstall something more, more helpful um, and more useful. Some people get that though from that lion or tiger as their boss or their partner. Yeah, it is, absolutely, that's no. right. I mean, I think you even get it from the TV, if I'm honest. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah. Sadness now, but um, I've been watching a lot of Netflix in lockdown or whatever. <laughs> One of the things that I watched quite a lot, and I had to stop watching it, I'm not going to lie, was uh, Designated Survivor. Oh, God. <laughs> American. But every time I came away from it, I was like, that program really stresses me yes. out. I can't watch it anymore. And I especially can't watch it anymore because they've just killed Hannah Wells and that's it, I'm over this. <laughs> but yeah. that really stressed me out. And I found like- Spoiler alert. <laughs> yeah, and like I'd, I'd feel quite stressed from watching some programs. And I think that's a really small bit, but you can put yourself in these situations, can't you? Is what I'm trying to say. You know, like put yeah, yourself you can. in a more Absolutely. calm situation. And, and to a certain extent, I think that's, that's, that's human beings wanting to replicate the adrenaline rush of being chased by a lion um, yeah. without the unpleasant outcome. Um, but the, the boss scenario, I mean, I, I love Eckhart Tolle's thing about if you find yourself in an unpleasant situation, you've, got, you've only got three choices. Um, change it, accept it, or leave. Um, and then you've got to decide who gets a vote in your life. And I know, I absolutely know from experience that leaving a job which gives you huge amounts of security, but in other ways is really screwing with your head, is the best thing you can do. However scary that cliff edge looks, mm. if you jump off, you will grow wings. Mm. Yeah. I mean, even listening to you, some people will be like, oh, I really want to do it. But yeah. I know. I know. And, and it may take... It's the unknown, isn't it? It is the unknown. And it may take quite a long conversation before that jump actually happens. But you um, can also maybe look to change something in your job if you don't feel like that, maybe? You can, absolutely. I mean, you can, you can attempt to um, change and shift things. One major shift, of course, is to ask yourself, why am I, why is this person mattering in my life? I mean, okay, they may have control over your career progression or whatever, um, but ultimately that will not be what people remember on the day of your funeral. And I, I, I remember somebody saying to me, why would you give a vote to someone who you wouldn't cross the road to talk to, certainly probably won't turn up at your funeral um you know why why would you care what they mm. actually think of you yeah um and if you're in most work situations you should have good hr which will protect you from bullying and you know i have worked with people who are undergoing a bullying situation but there are genuinely processes there but the person needs to needs to inhabit their adult rather than their, their child who's frightened in the playground of the, of the bully. Yeah, I mean, I've been there with a work bully, actually. It's, it's a really hard one. And I remember I used to really love my job and he, I felt at the time that he really stunted my love of the job. And I, I went through like, you know, like a few months of waking up every morning crying before I went to work because I was oh dreading God. going in. I was just like on the edge of my bed, just, yeah. I'd landed this amazing job, but the boss was, horrible and I look at I look back now and think you know he had his issues yeah that's right absolutely you know it probably was nothing to do with me in the end but he tormented me over it because he'd send me messages on a weekend about reports I had to do and 
Each, I was just constantly on edge. And it's, it's not a nice place to be when you, you're being tormented by somebody at work. Because also, yeah. there's something about that. Like school bullies in the bank, you just don't want to tell too many people, do you, to start yeah, with? I think, there, I think there are two elements to that. Um, and one is to recognise that, that bullying is always about projection. Yeah. Um, so bullying is about a feeling of a lack of power. Um, a feeling of fear. And if somebody puts you in a position where you are fearful, it's then very easy to project that onwards. It becomes a chain reaction. So you stop it by recognising that projection going on and deciding that actually somebody has to be an adult here. Mm -hmm. um, and even though we're very used to, I think particularly in in work situations we're very used to slipping into almost a parent-child situation with those who have authority over us and I think that's that's in general in authority relationships mm. um, but actually the really healthy ones are when we're adult to adult yeah absolutely um, um that's a great thing to say actually and going back to what you said earlier about you had three choices I think at that time I couldn't see a way out but then I started to look for another job while I was dealing with that. And then I remember, <laughs> I remember the day that I handed in my resignation and we'd, we'd actually flown, flown to Paris for a meeting. And normally I used to help like pick up the slack. I was the one who, um, when he didn't know what to say, he'd look at me to sort of right, come on, get up, do it. And I was like, no, not today. <laughs> I remember sitting yeah. at me thinking, no, no, <laughs> you know, a bit like that. What are you going to do, sack me? Yeah. And he was like, how dare you not, get up in the meeting da, 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 and I was like this letter is for you yeah <laughs> oh. and that, that feeling moment, was amazing that is a beautiful one yeah it's yeah a beautiful one. Uh, but it also can scare the bejesus out of you at the same time oh god yeah but but there is a way out I think that's oh, absolutely like, there I, always I there when always you is. are being coached and you're in that scenario I think it's a good idea to talk it through before being Def reactive definitely um, because you suddenly realise that you're actually n in nowhere near as much danger as your brain is trying to trick you into thinking you are. Yeah, definitely. So what do you do, David? What are your kind of rituals? What, you know, somebody's listening to this, what do you do to kind of set yourself up for the day? Tea. Tea. <laughs> and more tea. Let I with tea? Uh I, 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 good old builders, good old builders with, with one sugar. I haven't um, weaned myself off of sugar, I'm afraid. Um, but no, I, for me, bliss uh, and, a, and a good start to the day um, is to come down. I generally come down around about half past six. Uh, we've got two um, black labs. Um, uh. They will come out and bounce around and they won't give me any peace until I've given them their breakfast. So they get their breakfast, they pobble off down the garden to inspect any unauthorised wildlife. And <laughs> I make tea, um, sit down quietly and just have a think about where I am at the beginning of that day. And get curious um, about what I'm feeling. Um, am I apprehensive about the day? If I am, why? Is there anything I can do to mitigate that? Um, are there deeper existential things going on? What, what's, what's just what's happening with, within me? A general body check. Um, and then um, sometimes, not always, I don't meditate every single day by any stretch of the imagination. But if I do, I use a kind of happy place sort of meditation where I will, I know exactly where my happy place is. Um, it's a beach on the Isle of Wight and I will go there and I will smell. Benbridge? It is Benbridge. It's that very beach that you posted on, on Facebook, Kat. Ah. Um, called Undertime Beach, which is just Love that beach. And um, sitting there and smelling the ozone and the um, the slightly going off seaweed, which might sound dreadful <laughs> to other people, but to me is the smell of paradise. Uh, and, and just still myself for that. And then in the evenings, there's you know, something quite similar. Um, I'm lucky in that um, I've got the cathedral just down the road, Salisbury Cathedral, much loved of Russian spies. Um, and uh, <laughs> although I don't, although I don't believe the 
in the gaudy bit behind it i i adore church music and it makes me very very calm so to go in there and to listen to the choir is is again just just paradise really oh that's really nice so do you you don't do you not you're a non-believer now i am um i don't believe in supernatural god i do believe very strongly in the creativity of the human species Mm -hmm. and the power of story and you know i think the thing that separates us out is that we are a storytelling species we're a narrative species we make we tell stories to make meaning um and therefore if a client has a strong faith that's not an issue for me because that's a that's the story that gives them their meaning right and obviously because i've lived within that story myself i'm perfectly happy to be able to articulate the elements of that that Mm. story but there are so many other stories as well um and a lot of the most creative and um healthy stories are shared in common across the religious and wisdom traditions of the Mm. human species so um that's that's kind of and and the beauty of nature um Mm. and just the the ability of 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 this life we live to constantly surprise us Mm. and to offer us new ways of getting creative and adapting and doing all the things we've been brilliant at for the last half a million years. Mm. I just want to ask as well, you're writing a book, aren't you? I'm writing a book. I'm now into the hard work of the writing of the book. I've done the sort of outline stuff. I've now got to actually write words, which is always the tricky bit. Um, (laughs) But um, yeah, I'm writing a book on, on spirituality for atheists because I think that I still think that spirituality is really important. I think it's what we've just been talking about, actually. Yeah. Um, it's that sense of connection, both to one another and to something outside of oneself, whatever it might be. Um, and that's really, really important. But somehow, particularly the sort of militant atheism of the last few years of sort of Richard Dawkins and, and co, um, you know, it's fine as far as it goes but it, it can be a bit reductive and therefore you, you lose some of that awe and wonder and joy and, mm. and connectedness and um, just the joy in a, in a, a happenstance or whatever. Um, so uh, I, what I'm doing is trying to explain why it's important for all human beings to have some sort of spirituality, but that you don't have to believe in a supernatural God in order to do so. Yeah, no, I'm very much looking forward to reading that when you've written it. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, that's a good in, in, impetus for me to actually get on with it, Kat, yes. Yes, <laughs> well, I think it's a very interesting conversation. I would say five years ago, I probably wasn't spiritual at all. And now I would say I'm polar opposite to that um, yeah. from, from my journey kind of thing. And I'm very much more open to things than I ever have been. So I am quite interested in... I think once you get into the world of people and health and well-being, I, I just think it's impossible not to have some sort of spirituality because, yeah. because the human condition is so endlessly complex and fascinating yeah. um, that it draws you into a story which is just so much bigger than the fact that we are somehow machines carrying around a brain. Yeah. yeah. It's so much more interesting than that. Oh, it is. And I think as well, it's all part of your healing and sort of being awake to yourself, isn't it? It's it's kind of like jumping out of the queue for a minute. Just what is this? You know, and I think otherwise you can be on that conveyor belt, really, can't you? And I think once you kind of jump off, check yourself out, that's when you start sort of being able to solve any issues and you know, really find out about yourself. Um, I, as always, could talk and talk and talk and talk and talk. I literally could go on all day. I could bring my lunch here. And <laughs> <laughs> I love talking to you, David. Honestly, I really do. Um, and I find any opportunity to talk to you. Um, <laughs> you have to pay. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I start charging next time. <laughs> um, where can somebody find you if they feel the same way as us <laughs> they can find me on uh instagram david underscore lineker underscore 
coach and it's l-i-n-a-k-e-r distinguish me from the footballer um <laughs> and uh on um facebook um david lineker coach and speaker um but easiest really is just the website which is www.davidlineker.com lovely um perfect thank you so much for being our guest today it's been really a joy to have you on it's been fab yeah, thank you for having it has me. I can see why my mum loves you. I do too. <laughs> Ace. I'm obviously the sort of person who's safe to take home for tea, if nothing else. <laughs> um, lovely, David. People can also find you on the Wildlife Tribe. They um, certainly can. Part of a really great community. And I really urge people to find you. Um, learn more about you go and see go and have a talk um it's very comfortable to talk to david and i just think you will instantly be yourself and you'll instantly um find a way to be coached by somebody lovely so thank you david it's been an thank absolute you. pleasure and um i hope to speak to you again soon thank you david bye liberty bye